Yeah, in your life right now, what's alive for you? Um, I, I haven't sat in nearly two weeks and, like, actually, like, sat with myself. I mean, I've tried, you know, I haven't come to my sangha in two weeks, and it's, um, I've noticed, like, the little, the littlest things that have, you know, like, you know, like, I wouldn't say irritating, but you know, piss me off or yeah, irritating, yeah, piss me off. And and the and my partner, she she told me she was like, you know, you have it's, it's because you haven't sat and you haven't sat like seriously sat and you haven't been around your sangha. And you know, I was talking to Julie earlier to, you know, before we walked in. And I sat down and just just the relief of just sitting down and knowing that I'm going to be sitting here for the next 30 minutes or 20 minutes or however long it is that I'm going to be sitting here and that's all I need to concentrate on right now. You know, and just feeling that relief. And, you know, I'm fairly new to practice, you know, here and there for the last four years, this and that. But, you know, for the last year or so, I've been really, you know, really just trying to just, just be mindful of, of, of everything that I am doing. And, and, and you know, and I like that you said, I'm not going to become a master at this. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, retreat-wise, you know, many sits that I've, that I've been in, you know, um, I'm okay with that. You know, but just the, the, the fact that, you know, just trying to sit, like, at work for, like, five minutes, you know, 20 minutes, and, you know, I put this added pressure on me that, you know what, I can do this for 20 minutes, I can do this for five minutes, you know what I'm saying? You know, even if it's two minutes to myself, you know what I'm saying? That's... That's some of the stuff that, you know, that, that's, that i got to remember. So in our world today, we, most of us are dealing with just an overwhelm of stuff to do and choices and duties and kind of like, you know, to get through a day. Just most of us are doing more than we can easily do and also feel like we can find time for something like just sitting. Yeah. But what's really important is to begin to get a sense of, well, you know, how does this serve you? And what happens when you do sit? And what are the effects of what happens when you don't sit? And let me contextualize it. When I was living in England, there was a forest that was a coppice chestnut forest. And a lot of that forest was, was cut down and was replanted with native species so that we could have a a kind of like a sanctuary for wild life. And we would dig out these stumps and we would plant trees. And when you plant a tree, it doesn't look like a tree. It looks like a stick, you know? And, you know, an oak tree, when it's just a sapling, it's like, it's just incredible. It's really hard to tell that it's a tree. So you put it in the ground and you, you have to protect it from the rabbits, and then you have to protect it from the deer, and then you have to stake it so that when it gets really super windy, which it does, it doesn't just rip it out of the ground and send it flying, okay? So this little tree, which is an oak tree, you know, it takes about five years before you can take the rabbit guard off. And in those five years, you have to make sure that the weeds don't completely choke it and so you got to make sure that the weeds don't choke it, and that the rabbit guard stays on. The deer-proof fence has to stay on for about 10 years. 
because until 10 years, the deers can come and completely munch it to the ground, right? Now, the steak has to stay in 15 years, because if you don't have the steak in for 15 years, the winds will come and just rip it out and then throw it from here to there, okay? So even an oak tree that's 15 years old is still quite tender. And so you can probably tie a horse to an oak tree that's 15 years old, but you can't tie an elephant to an oak tree that's 15 years old. To tie an elephant to an oak tree, the oak tree needs to be between 25 and 40 years old. Because an oak tree will just go, and off it goes. All right. So the thing about trees is it's very much like people. You know, when we're starting our practice, it needs to have a fair amount of shelter and protection. It needs to be anchored, and we need to make sure that it doesn't get munched, that it doesn't get ripped out of the grounds and thrown hilter-skilter. Now, a tree is not talking about mastery. A tree is talking about just getting the roots settled enough and growing enough strength so that it can be a tree. That's what its job is, is just to be a tree. And sometimes we forget because we think, well, we're clever, you know. <laughs> And, you know, I can do mindfulness all the time. So it doesn't matter that I come to group or I don't do group because I'm doing practice. And then you start feeling pissy and aggravated and <laughs> swearing and cursing. And, you know, just because what's happening is, is that the idea of practice is different than the reality of sitting in silence with a group of people who are committed to a similar value system and who have created a space where the rabbits and the deer and the high winds are not tearing you to smithereens, okay? And so I noticed as a monastic, you know, that for the first five years, it still felt like we were wet behind the ears, you know? We were young and tender and vulnerable and we didn't really understand the principles of what it was to be a monastic. After 10 years, we had a little bit more ground. 15 years, a little bit more solid still. When people have been around between 35 and 40 years as a monastic, they start to feel pretty solid. Okay? It's not about personality. It's just about the effect of weathering time. Yeah? So, I'm encouraging you to just use this as a way of supporting yourself and to do what you need to do to protect. Because there's hardly anything that I know in the world that is more valuable than the aspiration to wake up. I can't think of anything, nothing, that's more important than that. And so if that is also true for you, then think about all of the other incredibly urgent things that are not so important that we spend our time with. And if something is really important, then it might be worth safeguarding and protecting and doing everything that we can to see that there's strength and stability and growth. Sitting for eight years or so, uh, I sit for an hour a day. Lots of both stuff of day lots of sanghas. 
And about six or seven months ago, um, I've been frustrated with sitting for a year or two. Uh, I noticed doubt coming in, um, doubt about the teachings, doubt about the teachers. Um, and I think the, the basis of it is feeling incredibly frustrated with my sitting. And when you're talking about me wanting to be there, it really rang, but it's, I'm, I guess I'm at a loss on, on how to deal with it. Well, the way I have been dealing with it uh, is to continue sitting and just, just to observe how uncomfortable it is. And uh, the other thought is kind of the extreme of just letting it go. I am, it was very difficult to build up to an hour a day. And there's a real fear about letting that go, not coming back. Um, and also real fear of, of reaching a point where I'm no longer practicing. Um, so after you've been doing this for a while, then there comes a time when sometimes what's really important is to start unraveling the structures that we've created around who I am, what meditation is, and what I'm doing. So it's the opposite of creating the safety. It's we're starting to take away the fences and the props and the supports and see how strong the roots are. Okay, Not as a way of hijacking the tree and discarding it, but because if you keep the rabbit fence on too long, it actually constricts the growth of the tree, right? So there comes a time when it's important to take the rabbit fence away. So in my own experience as a nun, and particularly in the last five years when I came back from England and I was living in the United States, so I went from being in a community to being on my own, from having fabulous support to having to figure everything out and create support structures myself, to really questioning what am I doing and does this make any sense and should I continue? And I knew this was a big question. This was not going to be a question I was going to be able to answer in a day. But I also noticed how by being a nun and by being identified with being a nun, I had used the structure of a nun to separate me from experience, rather than to support inquiry into the nature of experience. And every time I noticed that, I noticed that there was a little bit of suffering that was connected to that. So every time I saw that, that was an opportunity for me to unravel some identification around being a nun. And I didn't know, when I started this process, what the result was going to be. If the result was going to be that I would remain a nun, or that I would decide that at some point it's no longer serving me and that I need to stop doing this. And there was fear around that, because by that time I'd been a nun for, what, 22 years or something? You know, it's a big investment of my life. It's a whole huge something that I'm engaged with. It's not like just putting on another pair of shoes, you know? But it was absolutely fundamental that I engaged in the inquiry in unraveling because there was some way in which I had created incrustations around what I thought being a nun was, 
what I thought meditation was, what I thought being a Buddhist was, that was separating me from the immediacy of the present moment, rather than supporting me into a much deeper exploration of these two sides of balance and resting in awareness. Now, it would be a deeper exploration with you to find out what's happening in your meditation practice. What's happening when you sit for an hour? What does that look like? What are you doing? What does that feel like? What are you actually practicing with? To know whether starting to unravel is actually really supportive for you or not. Because there comes a time, for me, there has been a time, or there have been several different times, when I've had to stop the formal identification with any kind of structure and see what happens. Do I blow away? Do I change form? Do I have different values? And set it up as a genuine inquiry rather than I want to do this so that the result will be that in the end I will come out looking like that. Because those places where I get stuck are the places that keep me from moving fluidly through into the present moment and responding either bringing skill and balance to what's happening or opening the field of awareness without identification to anything and just resting there. It's funny, um, a lot of what you just said uh, for the last two or three minutes, I felt sort of unconsciously. You felt unconsciously say more about that. That, um, I don't know if I can say what I mean. Okay. Um, That's fair. That the unraveling and letting go. My sitting is um, stuffy. So some of the things you were saying, I subverbally have thought. And so, so that really rings for me. Yes, because what happens when I have been stuck is, is that I think if I just do the same thing more, harder, longer, yeah, faster, <laughs> bigger, better, then something, I'm going to get a different result. And that's profoundly not clear thinking. <coughs> yes, please. Um, I have a question about um, if at some point in our practice um, we come, we experience doubt um, in in our practice um, as to whether it's something to give the attention that um, should be given to it. And I, I have found that in, I went from having a practice where I sat for maybe 30 minutes a day in the morning, first thing, every day, to not, you know, coming to Sangha once a week. And I think that subconsciously I don't want to sit because I'm scared of seeing what maybe is in my life that would change things. Um, it's, it sounded like a question in my head before I asked it. But, <laughs> if, if you can speak to if there's, if, um, 
if at a point maybe you've experienced not wanting to look, not wanting to sit, not being scared to see what's really there? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> and it has a certain kind of feeling to it. And that particular kind of feeling is a dullness, which I've recognized. You know, so oftentimes before there's an emergence of something that's like a big challenge to an identity or to a structure or to something that I've held really dearly, and I get close to it, then it usually is preceded by this phenomenal level of dullness and not wanting to see. And I've experienced this enough to know to not push, not push through it, but just to bring the resilience and the, the, the resource that I need to say, I've got, the, I've got the interest and I've got the capacity to meet this when I'm ready for it. Okay? So not push through, but to, to touch it, to see it, and to begin to start gathering in the resources of, I'm, I'm, willing, to, I'm willing to face this, and then let it unfold in its own time. Yeah. So that's a slightly different thing than doubt. That's resistance. And that resistance is a really important part of moving forward. And so it's often, it has often been the case for me that right before there's been a huge shift, there's phenomenal resistance. And so navigating that territory with skill is really important to learn how to do. But it's not the same as doubt. It might take the shape of doubt. It might stimulate questions about my practice or my capacity to practice or about the teachers or about all of that. That's a strategy. That's actually not the cause. And so to drop in and to feel the kind of dullness in your body, to know that there's a resistance to something else, just stay with that resistance and bring in support, bring in breath, bring in what nourishes, bring in resource, bring in your confidence that, that, that you'll be able to meet what arises, and then it'll let it unfold. And be careful about the way your thoughts can easily go into doubting yourself or doubting the practice or doubting the teachers, because that's just a bypass. That's just a secondary thing to divert attention away from what the primary thing is, which is actually the most uncomfortable to be in. And be incredibly gentle. This is not something to push. Yeah. Um, thank you. So this weekend I'm heading into um, a big emotional situation. It's going to be really good, and but it's a, it's very emotional um, in nature. I don't want to get into the whole story of it, but it's um, triggering. It, it's an opportunity for old stories about myself to completely wash away um, about so many self-definitions from when I was a very young, from my whole life, especially as a child. Um, and uh, Lulu had shared with me about some things you talked about on Saturday with, like, with kind of young child stuff getting triggered. Um, basically, I, I, like, 
I'm going from the perception of being an only child to like being amidst my 19 half brothers and sisters for the first time. And um, every time I tap into it, it's like there's a part of me that wants to run. There's the part of me that's furious and raging at the parents. There's so much comes up, and um, they're also all Christian. And I'll have my Buddhist friend with me. And I just, I want to stay really present to everything. And I also, um, I don't know, I just wanted to hear thoughts about staying present to what's happening and recognizing when this stuff is triggered, the child stuff. And So in a situation like that, which is loaded, yeah. plan to have time out, you know? So plan, like, at least three times a day to have you know, a chunk of time by yourself away from the whole mishpucha where you can think and process and feel what you're feeling without being affected by all of this stuff that's going on. Because it's, it's totally loaded. And even though it, it may be that it is actually beautiful and deeply transformative, it's still exhausting to be navigating that amount of stuff that's coming up. And so until it lands and settles, you need to take enormous amount of care with yourself and not expect to be able to, you know, to have all of your I's dotted and your T's crossed and to be rosy and smiling and perfectly appropriate at all times, you know. You know, give yourself a wide berth of you're going into something that's tremendously evocative. It has a lot of positive potential to it. But there's also a lot of uncertainty about what's actually going to arise for you in that space. And let it, let it, let it be exactly as it is, and just take the time that you need to, to, to feel how you feel, because it's possible that it's going to be so rich, you're, you're not even going to know exactly how you feel. You know? To be grateful and pissed off in the same second is a little bit hard to digest. You know? So, yeah, fabulous, but gentle, very gentle, very, very gentle. You know, and if you find yourself in tears, or you find yourself in a rage, or you find yourself, you know, with all of that, give it the space where it can be there without you feeling like you've done something wrong. Just might, it just might take some time to track all that's happening for you and to get to really what's going on. Very rich. <coughs> You've got your one person who's a Buddhist ally. Yes. You know, and then see if you can imagine, you know, bringing the rest of your support system, mm-hmm. you know, and lean into them and let them hold you and let them give you foot rubs, you know, and if they're not actually physically present, then just allow them to do that with their thoughts, you know, so that you feel totally um, supported by all of your allies. And they might be human, they might be furry, Mm -hmm. they might have feathers, they might be trees, you know, let them all be there to support you. So that you feel really held
One more question? Um, I find a, a big dependency of my capacity to enter into a useful sitting uh, by, you know, my specific mental state at any given time. So it's, there's, I can only choose like certain times of the day or after an exercise or early in the morning or, or sometimes a peaceful time that allow me to even kind of overwhelm the intensity of, of my mind. Is there any, uh, that may be really primitive like to compared to where everybody else is at here, but I really struggle with with being in control and not having that dependency. But was that clear? No? I, th I think so. I, and I think, you know, what happens for many of us when, we, when we're, like the first 10 years of meditation, is we have an idea about what meditation is. And that idea is, is that we're supposed to feel calm. And so then we think, well, okay, if I'm supposed to feel calm, then I can only meditate when I feel like within a certain range of the spectrum, because if I'm in this other range of the spectrum, it's so not calm that I can't work with it, okay? So the first premise is, is that meditation is about feeling calm is really a really important one to look at because it's actually not true. The point of meditation is to learn how to develop the skills to meet what's happening and to develop more skillful relationship with it and have more balance with it. And so part of what meditation is about is developing skill around being calm. And part of what meditation is about is learning how to deal with absolute insane mind states, you know, incredible desire, phenomenal anger, incredible confusion, just feeling upside down and all around and all the rest of that, that's really helpful to learn how to deal with that. It's not comfortable and it's not our idea about what meditation is. So when we're dealing with something that's not comfortable and it's cutting across our idea about what meditation is, it's doubly uncomfortable because it doesn't feel like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Okay. But when we are able to work with anything that's arising, even when the stuff is really hard or intense, then we have another whole level of relaxing in our own skin about feeling like, okay, I, I've got the resources to deal with what's going to come up because I've done it, you know. I was just telling a friend, dear friend, I've known since I'm 14, and right now I'm working with anger. This anger is up, so it's big. And I was describing to my friend Bert how there was a time when I was just absolutely furious, like absolutely furious. And I remember it was just before going on a three-week silent meditation retreat, and one of the nuns came up to me and said, what do you need? And I said, I don't want to talk to anybody. And it's like, I don't care if the monastery burns down to the ground. I don't want to know about it. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone and just get out of my space. She said, I can handle that. And I can support you doing that. 
okay? So I was on silent retreat. I had a walking path that was 75 feet long or 50 feet long. I was in a kuti that was one quarter the size of this room for three weeks, okay? With this mind state that was like... I woke up in the morning and I was in a rage for the very first second of consciousness until the last consciousness before going to sleep. I was in an absolute rage. And I sat on my cushion and I walked on my walking path and that's what I worked with for three weeks. Sounds like my life for 30 years. <laughs> An absolute, unmitigated rage. And eventually it slowed down and calmed down and I could see what was going on. But this was like no joke. Okay? I didn't wait until I was calm to meditate. That's what I was dealing with. That's what I was working with. And it was one of the most intense experiences I have ever lived through. <laughs> and it was fabulous. And part of the reason why it was fabulous was because to be that angry and not implode or explode, mm -hmm. I really had confidence. I am not fundamentally psychotic. I can actually handle this amount of <laughs> and not completely crack up or become a psychopath. It's like, wow. So let's change gears. Come back into a sitting posture that you can feel the fullness of your body, feel the fullness of your breath, feel your connection with the ground underneath you. Feel whatever residue is present from what you just heard, what you have sat shared. Allowing it to be fully present. And letting go. Imagine something that for you is really uh, an absolute treasure, an object that for you represents just an exquisite treasure. Let that object become clear and focused in your own mind. Just get a sense how in the presence of something that is such an exquisite treasure, how important it is to take care the sense of gratitude, the sense of appreciation that comes being around this treasure. What it feels like 
to be around a treasure. And now change focus and allow yourself in whatever way you can to connect with your own aspiration to be free from pain and suffering, to live a life of integrity, congruent with your values, to be free from confusion, to know who you are, to be a force of peace and love in this world. Can you locate that in your own aspiration? Can you locate that? Uh, can you locate these things as, as values that you, you, you hold, you care about? And now put these two things side by side, your own aspiration and this treasure that you imagined. What happens when you put them side by side? How do you feel about both of them when you see them right next to each other like this? invite you to drop the image of the external treasure and focus on your own aspiration. And allow yourself to imagine whatever support you would need to grow strong and steady and able to withstand the winds and the storms and the floods and the fires, the elephants. It can be so deeply dislocating. And allow all of these things to come to you in abundance. Your aspiration grows and fruits until you are unshakable, absolutely unshakable, not inhuman, unshakable. And as we're sitting in this room, just seeing all of the people who are here together with us, seeing each other have the support that she or he needs so that everyone can become unshakable, solid, utterly flexible, 
completely capable of being excruciatingly vulnerable. changing focus one more time and just taking a moment to acknowledge all of the different things that each of us could have done tonight and the fact that we chose to come here support each other listen with care and attention speak with sincerity and the value that comes from listening and practicing in this way, from sharing in this way. And allow the blessings of what we're doing here together to become a substance which can be shared out on the wind so that all beings, human beings, animal beings, birds, trees, flowers, the earth, the water, the air, can benefit from the blessings of our efforts here together Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.